It's real. It's real. You know the deal. You know the deal. Hey, it's Shante. And I'm Natalie. And welcome to What's the Deal, a podcast powered by the Norfus Firm. At the Norfus Firm, we solve people problems. We have the great pleasure of working with employers all around the world on HR and DEI issues. Um, so we're in this like reflection mode, right? Yeah. Recap and the recaps, the recaps. <laughs> because we're at the end of the year and we're like, wow. What we, did we do this year? It's a oh, blur. Man. But we did a lot. We got a bunch of podcasts out. I know that part is definitely out in the world. A lot. Yeah, she scrolled. Uh, like, her finger right now is scrolling. Still scrolling, guys. All right. So what we wanted to do is call out a few of our favorite moments in 2023 on what's the deal. Um, and I'll go first. So we did like a lovely allyship uh, series where we had guests um, that were from very different backgrounds. Because I was like, what? Why do allies often choose for people what they need? We, we wanted to do that series so that people could get into the habit of thinking about it from the perspective of the person you're trying to be an ally to and asking them what they need, right? Like not deciding for them, empowering them by asking their feedback. And I think one of the episodes that really stood out to me from that series was with Sarah Rathke, our good friend, Sarah, um, Esquire Patton Boggs, uh, a law partner who is unconventional in so many different ways. And I loved that episode. And in particular, that she, her recognizing the power she has at this stage in her career mm-hmm. as a white woman, as a partner in a large global law firm, and, and how it's time for her to be thoughtful what others need. And the, the thing that stood out to me in that episode is she had on a Black Lives Matter shirt. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm wearing this. Basically, I'm wearing this everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was like, I don't, it doesn't, it's not hard for me to put this shirt on. Yeah. Basically. And so it, it's a signal. Like when she wears it, it's a signal like, hey, this is what I stand for. This is what I believe in. And it's great because it means that this is who she is as a person. This is not her doing this at work because it's her job or her role. Like this is, she's standing in her truth and who she is. And that's just what it is across the board. And I really appreciate that by her because sometimes folks, you know, people have to adjust or, or they think they have to adjust who they are in order to uh, fit a fit a certain mold or character or whatever it is. But it's like, no, who you are is who you are and show up and own it and be loud about it. So let's see a little bit of Sarah. You know, it's like kind of an inverse relationship. The more powerful are you, the less you really need an ally, but the more helpful you can be as an ally to others. So, you know, I, I think people are like a little hesitant about allyship because nobody's confident that they're going to get it right. Um, and I would say, just put it down, man. Like wh- what I've found is like, first of all, like there are situations where subtlety is not like really necessary or great. So like, I just come out with it. Like, this is what I'm about. I've worn this shirt like at work. I've worn this shirt and others like it at like the most like pale male and stale, like kind of law fraternity in town. Like, you know, this is just what I'm about. And I think, you know, first of all, that signals to the people who might not be fully um, following best practices or intending even to follow best practices. Like we're not doing that here. Um, But second, I think it signals to the people who are, you know, kind of on the outside of the power structure, like I'm like, I'm with you in spirit. I may not like, I'm not always like, 
you know, I have a 16 year old son, so I get to hear all the time about how I'm getting it wrong. But um, like, I'm trying, I might not be up on the latest like hip hop trends or language trends, but like I am here in spirit, open to being educated um, and willing to like, you know, step in front of the train, you know, to the extent that that's called for. All right. So what was one of your favorites? So I really enjoyed. So we did that series with Charlene, um, our good friend, Charlene Brown of Brown and Howlett and Brown, Brown and Howlett, Brown and Howlett. Okay. Yep. Sorry, Howlett, Howlett Brown. Howlett Brown. Yes. We're going, <laughs> it is the end of the year. We are tired. I was like, you have scrambled my brain um, in like two seconds. What? Like, holy crap. What was she? Like, I was like, that was a moment. I know. It was like, it was like a little short circuit. Like, wait, what? Right. But she, our friend across the pond in the UK, um, who really, you know, she helped to bring in that global perspective of this yes. work because, you know, we're based here in the, in the States and, and, but it's, this is not just this United States thing. Like this, a lot of folks have worked with global entities. And so you're dealing with people across the globe. So what does DEI look like globally Globally, in various locations? And so the one thing that came out of that that I really appreciated, though, was her talking about how, you know, what we need to do as DEI professionals or folks, even extended folks who deal with with people problems in general, what they need to do to take care of themselves. Yes. And do they even do what they need to do to take care of themselves? And I think the beauty of that moment was just the acknowledgement that this work is heavy and it's exhausting. And cause I know sometimes I know for me, Natalie, I don't know if you, if you experience this, but sometimes I'm just like, why am I worn out? Worn we out. joke because it's like, we don't work with a traditional like 40 hour work week. Um, but it feels like we're working 50, 60, 70, 80 hours. We're not working those hours, but it feels that way. Yes. And so it's like, why does it feel so? And so her saying like, yo, this, this stuff is emotionally and energetically exhausting. And just even acknowledging that was, was great. And ha and us holding space for each other to really talk about the fact that, man, this stuff is tough. So I really appreciate Charlene for that. And, uh, and, and check it out here to see what she has to say. I work with a lot of leaders, DEI leaders and uh, equality leaders who are who have who have who have reached their limit with this work because they're on the receiving end of people projecting all of their trauma, um, and then they have to switch their energy quite considerably um, depending on the circumstances of what happens, and that eat, eats away at you um, very very quickly. One of my own personal experiences, and from this, I made sure all of my team were mental health first aid trained. I was delivering an outcome to an investigation of an investigation to a board. And there was just some horrendous stuff that had happened. And because I'd been on autopilot with it, I was not prepared for how vigorous their reaction was. They were devastated, right? Mm. They were upset, swearing, shouting, not at me, at the situation. But they made me late for a global presentation on to a to maybe eight or nine hundred people on the positives of diversity and inclusion in the workplace so i had to go from that meeting right. on one computer and stand up and go on that one behind me and start talking about the positivities after that i went straight to bed and i sent a voice note to my assistant and i said we need to we need to look at some mental health first aid training um, because if i who's pretty much been doing this for a long time can feel like this then my team aren't safe enough to carry all of this and we need to put some things in place so when i say organizations need to be ready to receive a person that infrastructure also needs to be their own well-being and support but equally them as individuals when you're doing this stuff let's not 
ignore the um, impact that it can have on you and your ability to do that and also your health. And you should take steps to protect that too. Okay, another favorite for mm-hmm. me um, was the, the the episodes we did with Professor Benitez from the George Washington University Law School. Like we, you know, it's important that the part. Um, my immigration professor, someone who I hold near and dear, um, I think what I really appreciated about that episode. Well, there were many things. One, he comes at the, the, the immigration work in such a humble and accessible way, right? So when you're thinking about, um, it is very difficult for people to come to this country and stay lawfully. Yeah. It's very difficult. I mean, I know there's a lot of politics out there that make it seem like everyone's just flooding into the country and it's so easy, but it is really difficult. There's very limited visa categories. There's limited visa categories that allow you to work. And I just think that the way Professor Benitez talked about the topics generally was so accessible. And I appreciate that because I think it helps to dispel some of these myths that we hear mm-hmm. in a meaningful way. I think it also, and I know you can relate to this, you know, knowing that you have your first gen and, and family members who had to come to this country and figure it out, mm-hmm. is the, the way he prioritized when we were talking about thinking about marginalized people, people who are from other countries and are in the U.S. and don't speak English or are, are easily exploitable, like those types of things, talk him sort of bringing life to that. Yeah. And just how we talked about that whole moment of you don't even always get to know how smart people are mm-hmm. when they don't, their first language is not English. Right. And you are judging them because they're not speaking English well. But you're like, gosh, they might have like cracked codes in their country. And, and, and when they're able to speak in their mother tongue, they might run circles around you. What, they will blow you away. So I really appreciated that he brought that he brought that human side of the work. So let's hear a little bit from Professor Benitez. I think that there's a lack of sensitivity, empathy among a lot of employers, not all, but a lot of employers to the struggles of just basic level communication, ordering a sandwich, asking for the right metro station, the right bus. Um, the kind of work I do, as you know, Natalie, is what we call humanitarian asylum. I don't do employment-based immigration, so I don't represent big corporations. I represent the lady who just barely got out of Afghanistan because she's a lawyer and a, a women's rights activist. And in Afghanistan, that's lethal. Or the gay man from Iran, that's lethal. These are smart, both of them are lawyers, by the way, as I mentioned, the, the, the lady from Afghanistan is a lawyer, the, the gentleman from Iran is a, law, is a lawyer in Iran getting an advanced degree in the US. So they're educated, smart, sophisticated people in their country, but here they're starting at the bottom, essentially. They can't really practice until they pass a bar in the United States. The concepts are different. The legal concepts are different. And that's someone who has some fluency in English. When we start talking about people like many of them who are at the border, this purported surge that wasn't a surge after all, these are people who are 
walking through jungles, walking through deserts, dealing with gangs, dealing with cartels, riding trains, riding buses, and they don't speak a word of English. And they're supposed to explain their story to a US government official out in the middle of nowhere. The lawyer from Afghanistan and, and Iran, they took a lot of time to explain their story to us in our office, very calm, with some coffee, with some water. How someone from Central America, say, or from Africa, is supposed to explain their story in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the night, is beyond me. So there's a lack of understanding of basic communication issues. All right, did you have another phase? I did. So I really appreciate the intergenerational conversation, multi-generational. Multi-generational, yep, all of it. Inter and multi. Uh, those things. <laughs> um, I appreciated that conversation with uh, Professor Tiffany Atkins um, because it it is such, it's the it's like one of the main things that we do, that we're dealing with, that we've dealt with in the year, I think it's going to continue to do that we're going to continue to see come up um, is how do we relate to one another across generational lines? And, you know, this idea that um, people's experiences within their generation impact how they show up at work. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I really appreciate her talking about how, you know, Gen Z, um, I think it was Gen Z. Yes. Yeah. They, they, they don't relate to the American dream or just concept of work as we've been doing it for forever in, in this country the same way because they their experiences growing up are so different that it's like this is not even a real thing. They've seen people work, their parents or their grandparents work forever and then they get to something happens and it's all blown up and they don't have the housing a savings. crisis. They don't have anything. We're crypto. Everything. All these things all that these you're... Things, I don't know. All these things that happened. 9-11. Uh, uh, you're right. The housing crisis, everything. Maybe not 9-11. Maybe. Gosh, we old. <laughs> we're we, years. We, we were just kind of like on a roll. We're years. And you're like, I don't even know when they were born, honestly. Yeah. But, but, but the, the point being is that when she made that stuff. comment yeah. of Gen Z doesn't believe in the American dream the way we did because they saw and you're like, oh, my God, that was right. such a mind opening moment because I, like, I didn't even think about no. it from that perspective. Because why would they? Why would they? It's not right. real. It's not real. Because at least other generations, you could kind of maybe latch on to something and see an you example your house, of it. And your house right. grew in money. It's like your not house real for them. Yes. So they're like, forget it. Throw it away. We're going to do Throw us. Right? And we're going to do it the way we want to do it. So I really appreciate that framing there. So let's hear from Professor Atkins. What's also interesting is that from a Gen Z perspective, they have seen what you talked about, this American dream, that if I work hard, I'll make all this money. They saw that fail, right? So during the Great Recession, they saw their hardworking parents lose it all. People who had worked 80-hour yeah. weeks go from having a fat bank account to being in a foreclosure. And so for them, that American dream does not exist. What the data also shows is that younger people are moving away from, so when we look in the higher ed space, they're moving away from major like philosophy, but I was a philosophy pre-major, right? They're moving away from these uh, philosophical sort of majors. They want concrete. They want something where show me a pattern or practice where I know day one, I will have skills that will make me money. And they can't be faulted for that because again, their experience has been the Great Recession. Then they saw Donald Trump, but they've just seen a lot of things happen that causes a little bit of distrust with how older people saw the world which is work hard, pay your taxes, you'll do fine, right? Young people are like, well, my mama worked hard and she lost everything. So I'm going to work smart 
It's not hard, it's smart. And that could be becoming an influencer. When I go to law schools and I say, you know, you're creating law schools and trying to force students into these law schools, those students know they can go on TikTok and make a million dollars. They don't have to come to our schools. So why are we trying to force them into a mold that doesn't exist? They will go and make five million on TikTok and do their lives the way they want. So there's a there's a, a space for understanding of like the world that the boomers grew up in doesn't really exist and they can't be faulted for that, but nor can Gen Z. We really have to have space for everyone's experience and opportunity opportunities to see where we can learn from each other and push the organization forward. All right, y'all. Thank you for riding with us this year. Yeah, we really appreciate the support. It's awesome. Yeah, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. We got more content coming next year. We want to really know what you all would love for us to cover. Um, What are you seeing in your workplaces? What are you seeing that you you really would love us to kind of shine a light on? Uh, If you if anyone, um, you know, wants to give us some feedback, wants to give us some comments, some love, we'll take it all. Share some energy with us. Leave us um, whatever you want to leave us. Comments on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. We're everywhere. Um, (laughs) In these streets, as she says. (laughs) We are. (laughs) I feel like that's my tagline. It is your tagline. <laughs> but um, yeah, hit us up and we are happy and always honored to be with you. And we really thank you for the love and support this year. And we'll see you in 2024. Yeah, yeah. that's what that is. See you soon.